I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Lieutenant Joe. I am reporting from Places Unknown. Yes, once again, I'm out on the road. Now, I am currently what we call a local studio. We are at Saratoga Springs, New York. Actually, a beautiful place if you've never been. Uh, upstate New York is really a wonderful place. Uh, one of my favorite places really in the world is the Adirondacks region. Uh, and Saratoga Springs is right at the foot of the Adirondacks region. It's probably the end of the Catskills. I don't know how they, they, uh, they categorize it. But it's a beautiful little town. Lots of shopping, restaurants, food, nice hotels, fantastic things to do. And of course, you got the horse racing. And horse racing is a lot of fun. Now, it's funny, I'll tell you a, a quick story about Saratoga before we get into our, uh, you know, today's pages of outrages. A couple years back, uh, Jim Giordano and I, a friend of mine, you know, Jim from the neighborhood, we were thinking about purchasing some property from up in this area, trying to uh, think, maybe, maybe we'll get the, we'll get some some property and bring our families up here to, for vacation and all that would be great, would be a lot of fun, right, because it's beautiful up here. So we came up and it's a, like a five hour ride, six hour ride where we were going. And we stopped off for dinner in Saratoga Springs. Little did we know, it was the day before the last day of racing for the season, before the season shut down. That was going to happen the next day would be the last day of racing we didn't know that but we got into town and we had uh, had some dinner and of course we had a couple of adult beverages while we were here and we decided you know what do we really want to drive two more hours is that really safe probably not a good idea let's find a hotel we'll just stay overnight and we'll finish our trip in the morning so we did we we got this little side of the road motel on on the main main drag into Saratoga Springs. You know, there's all these uh, really high-end hotels, and then there's, you know, the mid-brain ones, and then there's street hotels, you know, where it's, it's not the nicest places. Well, we wouldn't stay in one of those, but we stayed in one of the nicer motels along the way. You know, people stop and go to see racing or visit town or whatever. And we went out that night, and we had a great time. There was, uh, like, there's all these, there's the main drag of uh, all these historic old buildings, but it's filled with restaurants, cigar shops, clothing places. It's just really a very eclectic and cool area to be in. I really enjoy it up here. And the weather's usually pretty good. Well, on the side streets, as we're walking around, we're walking through and, it's a side, and we hear music and we go down. All these little side streets have all other little clubs and bands and whatnot. And there was music. And I remember the name of the band. They were called the Donatello's. The Donatello's, you know, like uh, the painter, great painter Donatello, um, or the Ninja Turtle, if you're uh, of that age. We had such a good time in this little town. We really enjoyed ourselves. So we go back to the hotel, and we're going to go to bed. We're going to get up the next morning. We figure, yeah, you know, we'll get up at 8 o'clock. We'll get breakfast, and we'll head on up to the Adirondacks, and we'll look at some properties. 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, we had been out enjoying adult beverages. To, to a safe level, of course, but we were. And we're out, and we get in probably pretty late, 2 o'clock or so, but we figure, eh, we'll sleep till 8, we'll be good to go. Well, at 6 o'clock in the morning, we hear this loud 
musical instrument. Now, you know when you go to a horse track uh, and before every race, some young man comes out dressed in a nice red suit with the black cap and he's got that big long trombone and he goes, you know, he does that horse race thing. Well, we hear that and it is so loud and piercing. I had to jump up. I look out the window and down in the parking lot is this guy in full regalia with a couple other people and he's wailing away on this trumpet. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And then he gets done and like all these people come out of the rooms, they're clapping. And then this guy walks away and then I could hear him at the hotel next door playing the same thing. So of course that got our day started earlier. Uh, and when we were checking out, I said to the, to the manager, hey, what's, uh, what's up with the guy with the horn this morning? He goes, oh, well, that's a tradition. Uh, on the last day of racing, they come around to every hotel to let you know this is the day. Enjoy the day. I said, wow. So that was pretty cool. It was an interesting thing. They have a place here called Congress Park. They say it's historical. I don't know what's historical about it. Shame on me. I didn't go check it out. But I've been here, I don't know, five or six, seven times. I come here because there's a lot of conventions held here because it is such a beautiful place. It's not far from um, some of the bigger lakes. Lake Champlain is right up the street. Lake George is not far away. So a lot of times people will come here before they head into that region. So that was just a couple of minutes, a little taste of where I am this week because it seems every week I'm in a different local studio because I've been doing a lot of, a lot of traveling uh, and it's only going to pick up. So in... In a very short period of time, Miss Kathy and I, my lovely bride, we will be celebrating our 40th year of marriage. Can you imagine that? 40 years. And, and a lot of people say, say things about, you know, being married a long time and is it easy? Is it hard? Is it, you know, what the, what's it like? Well, I can tell you, in my 40 years, I have loved Kathleen every moment and I love her more today than the day we said I do. Because we have grown together. You know, we've gone through hard times. Everybody does. We've gone through difficult times. Every marriage does. Every friendship of 40 years goes through hard times, right? But what kept us together, what got us through those hard times, what got us into the next stage of our lives was we had a commitment. We had a commitment not just to each other, but a commitment to family. And we had a commitment to love, right? Love is a choice. You choose to love. And that sounds very flowery. Lieutenant Joe, that sounds very flowery. That's very nice. You choose to love. The reality is there's also a lot of work that goes into it. And I hear this all the time, don't you? There's a lot of work that goes into marriage. You've got to really work at it. Work at it. What does that mean? you got to work at it. Well, one of the things uh, that I said was that one of the things that kept us together all this time and really has, has bound us together was the fact that we were committed and when you're committed to something, it means you have to you have to think about and, and put that commitment first. And you have to put that commitment first. And when you say to yourself, gee, you know, I want to do this or I want to do that. What, what's best for me and my best friend, my partner, the love of my life? And we gave each other a lot of freedom in our lives, you know, to pursue hobbies or to pursue things that we like to do. Because I don't like to do everything she likes to do. She doesn't like to do everything I like to do. So we find things in common over the years that we do like to do. And we, one of the things we really like to do is we like to laugh. We laugh a lot. There's a lot of humor in our lives. I mean, you know, you can hear me here on here. You imagine having to hang out with this 24 hours a day. 
you know, but I do voices. I do, uh, I, I break into character about certain things. Um, and I try to keep it funny. And Kathleen has some of the driest, funniest lines I've ever heard in my life. Just, sometimes she says it and doesn't realize what she's saying. And it just floors me hysterically how, how funny it can be. So that has, that has been one of the things that kept us together. And I think we were honest with each other. You know, a lot of people, when they start to have problems, and I say this because friends I've seen, family members I've seen who've been together a long time, and then they break up, you know, in their, in their 30, 50 year of marriage, they get divorced. And you say, what the hell happened there? Well, sometimes it's, it's you know, one or the other partner just being a jerk and doing the wrong thing, having affairs, cheating, and this and that. But what, where does all that come from? Well, people have affairs when they fall out of love, when they get bored with their partner. And they look for something else that's exciting. And that's, I think, a normal, natural thing. I mean, 40 years is a long time. So if you don't keep it fresh, if you don't keep it updated, if you don't um, work at it, you know, if you don't work on yourself, uh, you know, we all develop these crazy habits over the course of time where we can be uh, annoying, we can be boring, we can be uh, grouchy, we can have all kinds of problems that, that happen to you as, you as you go through life. Being aware of it, listening to your partner who says to you, you know, you're being a little boring, you're a little annoying, uh, I wish you'd knock it off. And then you'd have to say, well, really? Am I? Well, maybe I am. And you know what? You, you learn to work together. And that's really what it means to, to work through things together. Uh, and the fact it is, I like Kathleen. I've always liked her. You know, I found her to be a smart, beautiful young woman. And I find her to be now a smart, beautiful woman who has gone through life with me. Uh, she's exciting to me. Uh, she's interesting to me. And we have kept that interest in each other, and we're celebrating 40 years uh, of marriage, which is which is excellent. So the reason I kind of bring that up is uh, I'm on the road today, and sometimes I, I take Kathleen on trips with me. You know, I have the kind of business where uh, sometimes I need an assistant, and she runs. She is the the entire back uh, office of my police training business. She handles everything. I show up and do the training. Uh, she handles everything else. So we have a good working relationship. But when it comes to some of the jobs that we get to do, threat assessments and staff training for, you know, for all kinds of things, uh, sometimes I need somebody on the road with me. And if it's a really cool place, she'll come with me. So we went to Miami and she loved Miami. I loved Miami. Matter of fact, we're going back to Miami. It's, if you haven't been there in a long time, it's, it's really changed. It's, it's a cool place to go. All of Florida is excellent, but Miami was really great. What a good time we had. But we went to Dallas, and she didn't care for Dallas, so I just went. I was just there a couple weeks ago. She didn't want to go back because it wasn't that much fun. You know, the city itself is fun. Uh, I went to the House of Blues a couple times. I actually sang on the stage, House of Blues. Uh, it was a good time, but she didn't care for it too much. Um, where else did we go? Oh, we went to uh, Marin County. We were in... Uh, Marin County, which is wine country, north of uh, San Francisco. San Francisco was a train wreck, but wine country was great. We've been into upstate New York. I had some jobs up uh, upstate New York, and she came she came with me to those. So we're very lucky we get to spend time together uh, and, and do things. Now, it's funny. In our office, I have my big office in the basement, and she has her working area she does on the main floor of the house because if we sat next to each other, we'd probably drive each other crazy. Actually... 
I would probably drive her crazy because I have a tendency to tap. You know, I tap my feet. I sing songs in my head. Um, I make a million notes. I change programs on the computer every five seconds. I'm a very busy kind of guy when I'm doing work. Um, I'm doing research, whatever. I would probably drive her crazy. So it's good that we don't sit right on top of each other. We do meet for breakfast. We meet for lunch. And then we have cocktails and dinner. And that has really been the cement that kept us together, uh, is that we can get along in all these different ways. And, and I'm telling you this because I know some of you out there have had marriages less time than I have, same time as me, and some of you had more time than me. And you've had a great run at it. And I know a lot of people who are having a hard time at it. And I'm just going to say this, you know, this is, not a, this is not a marriage and advice show, but it is about justice. And justice means, you know, a lot of things. And if you've committed yourselves together, then making sure the relationship works so that you don't you don't end up breaking up in your 30th year or your 35th year. I've seen this, I can't tell you how many times, you probably know people, that somebody just woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm not really the marrying kind after 30 years, and they walk out. Usually they have someone else um, on the side, and that really was the impetus. But you get somebody on the side when you're bored with the person you're with. So that's why everyone has to stay healthy, smart, interesting, exciting, and always moving forward. And I, I guess that's really what I wanted to say about this anniversary because if I had a drum roll, roll I would do it, but uh, you know, it would drive the uh, producers crazy if I drum rolled on the table. In the next month or so, we will be going to Italy to celebrate our 40th anniversary. Now, we haven't traveled a lot in our lives uh, outside of the United States because we were raising children sending people to college. We're still paying for college. So we didn't travel outside the country a lot. We did Ireland a few years ago. It was excellent. Really a fun place. I think I've recounted those tales here. The, the, the tales of Donegal and the homeland of my, my beloved father-in-law, Ted. Ted, our number one fan. Uh, Ted, how are you? I know he's listening. He listens to the station every single day. He's an America Out Loud fan. Uh, but, yeah, but other than that, we went to Nassau and the Bahamas on a Disney tour with all the kids one time. You know, we took the Disney cruise and they stopped in the Bahamas for a couple hours. We didn't get to spend much time there other than that. And you know, we've done a lot in the United States, but this one, we decided, you know, what are we going to do? The idea for our 40th anniversary was to have a big party for ourselves. Uh, and they said, we really want to do that? Do we want to have our, our, our party for ourselves? And I got four grown kids. You, you know, you'd think maybe they would do it. But they're all busy with their own families. You know, to put together a, a real big party would would be very difficult and very costly for them. You know, it costs a lot of money to go to a, a, a big place with a lot of people. So we're trying to fit. Well, maybe we'll rent a house in the Adirondacks between Christmas and Thanksgiving. I mean, between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, maybe we'll rent a house up there and have all the kids and all the grandkids. Everybody come and uh, we'll enjoy ourselves. We'll spend a long weekend, maybe five days and we'll do campfires and, and all the fun stuff uh, there. And the problem is, they're very busy. It's a very cats in the cradle thing when you got four kids that are all dynamic, smart, and productive and busy. That, you know, what's good for one weekend for one is not good for another. What's good for this person's weekend is not good for that one's wife. And, you know, the kids have to be here and there. So we just couldn't really put it together. And that's when I said, you know what? Time for you and I to do something for you and I without worrying about everybody else, without worrying about what the kids are going to do or anybody else that needs us. We'll make arrangements to make sure everybody's taken care of. But you and I 
are going to get on a plane and go somewhere, where would you like to go? Now, two places we talked about. Um, we want to go to Israel because I really want to go to Israel and, and walk the Holy Lands. Uh, and then Italy. So Kathleen says, I'd like to go to Italy. So you know what? Happy wife, happy life. Connect the dots. Uh, and I've always wanted to go to Italy myself. Um, I'm a big fan of the uh, medieval art and, and uh, the Renaissance and Michelangelo and, you know, uh, just unbelievable. That I just I find that art so moving. I said, you know what? Let's do it. So we booked our plans and very shortly we'll be winging our way uh, to the east, heading to uh, the island uh, or the uh, peninsula of Italy. My homeland, my people, uh, actually I'm Irish and Italian, so my mom was Irish, my father was Italian. My father's people were from Potenza, Italy. So if you think of the shape of Italy, shaped like a boot, if you go down to the heel and then you go to the, uh, to the front part of the foot in the boot, look at the middle, the arch, and then go up into the mountains, and that's where Potenza is. And we were going to go there, on this particular trip, we were going to take a, a, a go way out of our way and go to Potenza. But I don't know anybody there. I know other relatives that are from Italy, that are uh, from different parts of Italy and have moved to South America and all different other kind of places. But nobody in Potenza. So I said, you know what? Let's do something else this time. And our next trip, we'll do the back roads of Italy, you know? So that's uh, that's about it. And that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, so I'm going to, maybe I might do a show or two from Italy. I, I don't know. Um... That might be interesting to see what's going on over there, get the feel of the pulse of the people of the world, and make this an international show of justice. So thank you. Thank you for, uh, for letting me uh, you know, give a little advice out there about love, because love is really what, what everything here is all about. We have to love each other. So what's going on in the world? What's going on out in the world now? Let's, let's take a look out there. So we're talking about love. And I'm, I am a, I don't know, I don't know how to describe myself. I am a person that likes to keep up on current events. Now, some current events are, are really important to all of our lives. You know, political things, uh, crime and crime and punishment kind of, you know, this, this affects our everyday life. You know, the, the whole um, Hollywood thing, that, that really doesn't excite me. I don't get excited um, by that whole world. I love movies. I love music. I love rock and roll music and bands. I like to play my guitar, right? I took up my guitar. I pulled my guitar out of uh, out of storage uh, not too long ago, and Kathy bought me a new another new guitar. So I got my my beautiful guitars, uh, and I started playing. That's a great hobby. But I, I, I like movies. Uh, you know, I do. I'm a big fan of movies. I write screenplays. Um, I have a million ideas. You know, I write. I write books on training, but I also write uh, creative things. And uh, as such, I, I find that world interesting. I guess it's the personalities I'm not so worried about. I don't care about movie stars and their lives and this and that. But I do care about phenomenon or trending kind of things. I find it interesting because it, it, it reveals something about our culture sometimes. And, you know, our culture is, it, I guess at one point our culture is amazing. At the other point our culture is rot. You know, we have some horrible things going on in our culture, uh, and we have some very good things. So this this whole Taylor Swift, uh, Travis Kelsey thing that's going on, it's a phenomenon in the news. It's, uh, it's like a big deal. Why? Because we got this beautiful, young, talented woman 
uh, who's like a superstar everywhere in the world. She just did a tour. What did she do? She sold out football stadiums five days in a row. I mean, she, she even out, outdid Springsteen on all his tours. And she does that all around the world. She's absolutely amazing. Very, very talented young woman, um, that Taylor Swift. And she starts dating uh, Travis Kelsey, big superstar football player for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. And at first it was just rumors. And then we saw the football game, right? And there she was up in the booth um, with Mahomes' wife, I guess. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' wife and her are friends. And, okay, that was interesting while I was watching the game. They talked about it. But now, apparently, these two really are an item. Now, do you care at all? I mean, you look at social media, people are like, I could care less who she's dating. And I don't care who that they're dating either. I find it to be interesting because it's not a negative, right? We don't know anything negative about her other than she dates a lot of guys, breaks up with them, and then she writes a song about them and become hit songs. And we don't know a lot. There's nothing bad about him. You know, he's not one of these notorious football players that getting locked up, carrying guns, stabbing people, shooting people, whatever. He seems like a, a decent enough guy. She seems like a decent enough girl. It's an American picture. The fact that they're both uh, very wealthy, they're talented, and they're both beautiful, uh, I think makes it a cultural thing. And now every week, uh, the whole spotlight on the Kansas City Chiefs, who, who could easily go on and win another Super Bowl. They, I mean, I've watched. They are just so talented, that whole team. But here we got these people now, and all they're looking for is, is Taylor Swift here? Is she up in the booth? What's going on? And uh, I find it interesting culturally. It's a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. A negative relationship that you, you feel a lot of negative connotation is uh, Prince Harry and this Meghan Markle, right? Um, their whole relationship seems negative, doesn't it? And it's in a paper every day. Like, I guess part of that is, uh, you know, royals, royals, royals. I, I get the tradition of the royal family and royalty around the world. I, I get that tradition. And I can see how people could have pride in it in their country if they have a king, a queen, princes and all that stuff. But that doesn't rattle me very. I'm not, I'm not a big fan. You know, royalty, oh my God, they're special. No, they're not. They just happen to be born into a family. Just like I was born into my family, you were born into yours. And, and they, with this, they, they, what did they, have they earned? And I don't mean money. What respect have they earned as people for things that they've done? Now, Princess Diana, she worked around the world to try and help people, you know, the landmines and, and try and help, you know. So she did some altruistic things with her, with her life and her gift that she was given. But when I juxtapose these two couples, uh, Prince Harry, who... who does, apparently doesn't like his family, is estranged from his family. Now, maybe there was weird things that went on in his family. Maybe he's completely, completely righteous. I don't really care. Um, it's his family to deal with. And, I, and I'm like I said, I'm not starstruck by the royals, so I don't really care what goes on there. Um, maybe if they actually did run the government, I would be more concerned because that could affect how the world would go. But they don't. They're just the royal family. They're a, a showpiece. They are uh, ambassadors and, you know, that kind of thing. And Meghan Markle, she seems like a talented actress. She's a beautiful young woman. Um, but, but who cares about their relationship seems negative to me. That's what it seems negative to me. Uh, where Taylor Swift and, and Travis Kelsey doesn't seem so negative. You know, it seems like it's all um, candy and balloons right now. Everything's happy. Everybody, oh, there, it's wonderful. You know, uh, I wish Harry and, and Meghan Markle good luck. I wish they would have a good relationship instead of, you know, out there trying to uh, I don't, whatever the hell there is, they're doing, you know, trying to get this publicity and, and through the suffering. Solve your problem with your families. That's the most important thing. Solve your problem with your families if you can. All right. So the last thing I wanted to jump on uh, before we take our first break here 
it also involves um, Meghan Markle. Apparently, there's some thought that uh, Governor Newsom in California may appoint her to be the senator from California to replace Dianne Feinstein, who just passed away. Now, Dianne Feinstein was failing in her health. Uh, we all, well, she was getting older. She was having harder problems, and she refused to leave. I'm staying until 2025, she said. That was her, her big push that she wasn't going to leave, but her health, her health escaped her, as it often does with people. Once you, once you get into your 60s, 70s, and 80s, you don't know what time you got left. You could wake up dead tomorrow and not have any idea it's coming. Um, but anyway, uh, she passed away. And she served for a very long time in the Senate, six terms, I think, 36 years, which, first of all, is way too long. Should be two terms in the Senate, uh, four terms in the House of Congress, uh, and that's it. That's my opinion. Um, And that would make the government, I think, a little bit better. But anyway, she served 36 years. She passed away, and now Governor Newsom, as the governor of the state, gets to appoint a replacement for someone who leaves office. and that person would hold that position until the next election. They could run, step down, or, or whatever. Uh, and there's word out there that he's considering, or at least it's in the, the realm of possibility, of Meghan Markle. Now, she has made comments uh, throughout the news that she was considering running for office. So maybe this is the perfect shoe-in for her and for him uh, to name her as the senator. What she brings to California, I don't know. Um, she's involved with Hollywood. Uh, so who knows? I guess we would see what she would do. She would obviously be a liberal, or he wouldn't even consider appointing her. And a, a liberal is not going to help California uh, doing more liberal things there. We see the, 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 the absolute mess that California is in because of all the liberal policies. But hey, that's, uh, that was on the news, and they talked about her. Uh, so I connected the two stories together for us so we could at least bring this all together. And there's one other um, story that I don't know if I have time to get into fully, but I'll mention it uh, here. It's on page two of my uh, outrages here. Um, What is the guy's name? He is an alderman uh, in Chicago, and he's a Democrat. And I have his name here because, you know, how many times do I say that to you? I got somebody here, but I don't know their name, and I hate doing that to you. I like to find people's names. So his his name, uh, he's Alderman in Chicago, and his name is Raymond Lopez. He's a Democrat. Uh, I'm sure he voted for all the stuff that has caused the problems in Chicago, the economic problems, the uh, the crime problems, the the, the evol- devolving nature of quality of life. And I'm sure he voted for all of it as a liberal, thought he was doing the right thing. But he came out the other day, and he was complaining about the, the lawlessness and the danger in Chicago to people, uh, that basically uh, he's saying that innocent people are being hunted down by criminals. Innocent people are being hunted by criminals because of the laws and what they're doing with the no bail, letting criminals out over and over and over again, not holding people accountable, uh, going soft on crime, and all that kind of nonsense. So I find that interesting. And we're seeing a trend in this, the world of justice, where we're seeing our friends on the left who demanded all of this progressive left-wing soft-on-crime policy, now they're actually wallowing in it. You know, the uh, proverbial chickens have come home to roost with all of their policy uh, and their beliefs and their things and not understanding human nature, and it's dangerous for everybody in their communities. Um, So I just found that interesting. 
Alderman Raymond Lopez says, hey, uh, our laws are uh, targeting innocent people to be hunted down. So stand by. We'll be back in a minute with a little more. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Changing the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. All right, everybody, welcome back. And here we are for round two. Ding, 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 ding. And uh, we're going we're gonna to cover some more uh, general areas of life in America and some ideas. I saw an interesting, an interesting article, and I actually watched an interesting video the other day about the amount of time we spend on cell phones. Now, cell phones are not just phones. We all know that. It, it's not that we're spending all this time talking to each other on the phone. Cell phone is actually just a computer that has a cell phone app attached to it so you can actually make a phone call. But texting is very big, right? Isn't texting huge? I mean, I text all day long. Some people text me all day long. We text each other back and forth because sharing of information is the key to just about all of, of human interaction is some kind of informational share. Even what we're talking about in the first uh, part of our show here, 
was uh, love, communicating, right? Communicating my thoughts, my feelings to my love. She communicates to me. We work it out. We talk through it. We make changes, whatever. Communication is huge. And the advent of the cell phone and now the smartphone uh, has really changed the dynamic of how we interact uh, with each other as well as many other aspects. Now, social media in itself is both a good thing and it is a detrimental thing. So when I look at this, um, there's this story that I, that I saw was talking about how much time children, young people under 18, spend on their cell phones. And this study found in general, this was generalized, between four and a half hours a day up to an excessive 16 hours a day these kids spend on cell phones looking at videos, talking to each other, texting each other, you know what I mean? Uh, posting things, all, all kinds of things back and forth. And it is, um, it, it is time consuming and it disassociates. So on Fox News the other day, I was watching Fox and Friends in the morning and uh, Mr. Ducey was on there and he had, uh, he was talking to a, an expert on, on communication and cell phones and all that. And basically they were saying that these kids are, they're not getting enough sleep, especially the older kids, because they go to bed, they might go in their bedroom at 10 o'clock at night, uh, but they're not going to sleep until, you know, 12, 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning because they're getting notifications, they're, you know, they're getting these pop-ups. They were saying that some of these kids might get between 100 and 500 notifications a day from all the apps they're connected to, the programs they're connected to, the things that they follow, the podcasts, all that. And that is distracting. And they're also doing it in school, in class. They're constantly on these phones, not paying attention. How many times have you seen, and if you haven't seen it, look around when you see it, go to a restaurant where there's a family sitting at a table. And it might be kids, you know, 12, 13, through, you know, late teenagers, and their parents sitting there, and they'll be on the phones, looking at the phones. If not, the parents as well on the phones. Everybody's looking at the phone and interacting, but they're not interacting with each other. Now, I know this is not everybody, but it is a, a big thing in our in our society um, that this is happening. And it's it's difficult. When you think about getting two to 450 or 460 uh, notifications a day, how much of your time that will take up to identify that, that, uh, that check in, who is it, what do they need, how do I respond? It's, it's very tough. And four and a half hours to 16 hours a day staring at that screen, wherever you go, you see people staring at these phones. I go to my police training classes, and I'll have uh, 25, 30 adult police officers of all different ages sitting at the, at, the, at the desks waiting for the class to start, and they're all on their cell phones. They're all on their cell phones. They're not talking to each other. They're looking at the self, they're reading the news, whatever they're doing. I don't know. I spend a lot of time on there. I look on for news trends. I get notifications about news trends, right? Because I like to see what's going on in the news and have that kind of pop up. And then I read an article or story. It keeps me informed because I told you I like to stay up on current events. The other detrimental thing we see about these cell phones. Now, I was teaching a class the other day for police officers on planning the active shooter drill. So, you know, I talk, I talk about that a lot. I teach about that. I, have, I go out and I do threat assessments for all kinds of businesses. I teach police officers, school people, business people, churches, camps, everything. I teach people how to stay safe. I provide that kind of training to them. And 
the drill is extremely important because if you don't actually practice uh, how to respond, then you're not really doing a lot of responding. So there's a statistic out there that you look up for businesses, businesses preparing for violence, workplace violence, active shooter violence, that kind of thing. A full 69% of corporations, big and small in our country, do little to nothing to prepare. Now that's shocking in this day and age. Our schools, our schools do, I, w I don't want to say a lot because in the Northeast, Florida, parts of California, uh, they do do a lot. They spend a lot of money. Texas spends a lot of money uh, to keep their schools safe, to get threat assessments, to do staff training. They do drills, right? School kids do fire drills and they do lockdown drills now all across the country. So they're doing something. When we look at the statistic about businesses though, they do little to nothing to prepare their staff. And here's why that's detrimental. When we look at the actual numbers of, of workplace active shooter, school active shooter events, we see that of all of them that take place in a year, only one third of active shooter events actually take place in schools. The other two thirds take place everywhere else, in businesses, malls, theaters, places where human beings gather uh, are, are prone to this kind of thing. And we know in workplaces, we hear about it all the time. Employee comes back, shoots and kills the manager, three other people, two co-workers, whatever. And the fact that we're putting a lot of effort and energy into our schools is a very good thing because a full one third of those active shooter events take place in our schools. So our schools all have to be ready, but so do our businesses. Now I know in, in my business, I see uh, for every 10 clients that we get, we will get one corporate client and nine schools, which kind of plays out to this statistic, which is absolutely correct. I was just recently at a huge media uh, place, a huge media place. Um, and I don't give away my client's name, so I, I don't say who they are, but a huge media place. And I went in and they said, listen, um, we have this brand new building uh, we're very high profile. Everybody knows us. Uh, but we have no idea if the things we have in place are good to protect us. So could you come in and do an assessment? So I said, of course, I'd love to come in and do an assessment for you. So when I do an assessment, I look from the outside in with the mindset of if somebody wanted to hurt people in that building, how would they do it? How would they get in there? How would they get past security if there is any? How would they get past the doors if they're locked or not locked? And then how would they injure people uh, in that facility? So with that in mind, um, I went to this huge um, facility and they have security guards at the entrances. They have uh, roving patrols outside and inside they have uh, very few areas to lock down. Um, they have uh, unarmed security. So there's really nobody to fight back. And I found that I could get into the facility without being noticed, even though they had security and everything else, because you have the human element always where, uh, you know, people leave a door unlocked. I can't tell you how many people, as I was walking up to a door where they were leaving an exit, they would see me standing there and they hold the door for me, let me walk right in. Now, this is not just at this recent client. This is at every school, every client, everywhere I go. And the more you look not like what you think a shooter would look like, the more you're gonna get let in. 
So one of the things we do at all of our, for all of our clients is we do what's called penetration testing. This is where we try and understand their security, the obstacles they put in place, uh, that kind of thing. And we try and get in unnoticed so that we could slip in. So that if we want to do something, a school, business, mall, doesn't matter, whatever it is. And there's usually, um, some places are locked up tight. I got to tell you, some places really take it serious and you can't get in. Um, you have to fight your way in. And this is when we see these occasions where somebody shoots out the glass or something and, and tries to get in or bash in a door and try and hurt people. But uh, some places are very weak. And this is very scary, understanding that statistic. So I wanted to um, really give kudos to this client because they did have things in place and they did have me come out there and they were like, listen, we have our own security but when we ask them if we're secure, they, you know, they can only see it through their eyes and they say yes. So we want you to come in and look from the outside and see if you can help us understand our security profile. So that's what I do. I go in and I try and figure out, hey, if somebody wanted to get them, how would they do it? Uh, and then I write a very detailed report and then I help them, help them through the process of uh, closing those security gaps that we find. So it's interesting. Um, we, we did a, a drill at another client. I had a different client, uh, another part of the country, and again, a large large office area. They probably had, uh, you've probably seen them, where they have uh, cubicles where people work, right? And on this one floor, there had to be 300 people on this one floor, after all their desks, all their little cubicles, one big giant square, and uh, four exits out of the place, and um, desks all over, everywhere, everybody's got their desk. And we, we, did a, we did a training. We taught everybody you know, what they should be looking at, listening for, etc., and what they should do, how they should move. When should you get up and go? When should you just listen? And uh, then we did a drill. We said this afternoon at some point, we're going to do a drill. We're going to uh, send in a, a role player. Role player is going to create some kind of a situation where you're going to have to decide what you should do. How should you react to this role player? And we have different, different uh, scenarios that we use uh, some are more, uh, I, don't, I don't use the word scary, but they're more realistic. Others are less, depending on the clientele. Sometimes, uh, honestly, they'll, the, the ownership of, of the business will tell me, if we do that, these people will get triggered and they won't be able to function, they won't come to work because uh, they're just not mentally prepared for it. Other places say, listen, I don't care what you do, I want to try it out and see if my people are going to be safe. So I went to this location. Um, we trained in the morning what to do. In the afternoon, I said, we're going to have a drill this afternoon. And, of course, everybody goes to lunch. They come back. Now at 1 o'clock, everybody's chomping on the bit, figuring it's going to come now, going to come now. And I didn't want that. I wanted them to go back to their routine, do their work, uh, be distracted, and then have something happen that they have to react to. So I waited till about 1.30, quarter to 2. Everybody was calm. They were drinking their coffee, doing their work. They are all talking to each other. And I sent the role player in. Uh, screaming, hollering, waving a gun around, looking for the manager. And it was amazing to watch. These 300 people got up and ran primarily towards one exit. And they bottlenecked at that exit. It was really crazy. About 20 or 30 people went to a different doorway, and then some people hid under their desks. And when, when we, were, we were all done, the shooter walked in and walked right up to everybody, scared everybody. Didn't shoot at them, of course, but made the point that they were right up on top of them. And then we, we froze the drill, we stopped it, and we went to a debriefing, and I asked, I said, why did all of you go to that one door when you had three other choices and you bottlenecked? 
And the overwhelming answer was, that's the way we go out every single day. So they just panicked and ran. Um, and that was that was tough. So the other people that went out the other door, I said, why'd you go that way? Well, we saw we couldn't get out there. I wanted to go, man, so I went to the other door. And then some people hid under their desk because they couldn't think of what to do. And the reason that this happened is it was the first time they'd ever run a drill. The first time they had ever really talked about it. So we had a nice conversation about how they should, you know, think in the future. Uh, and the owner asked me to come back. I came back three or four months later and we did another drill. And this time they went out all four doors. Uh, the shooter had very few targets to, to go after. And when we debriefed then, I said, why did you split up? They said, well, we realized after the first time uh, we weren't thinking about it. We didn't plan what to do and it would have been bad. Since then, we've made a decision that we split the room into quarters and we'll go down different doorways so we don't bottleneck. I thought that was great. That was beautiful. That was smart. Uh, and now they're going to continue to train. They're going to do drilling uh, at least once a year. Now, when you think about that, how important that is. Our kids drill lockdowns maybe two to three, maybe four times a year if you're lucky to have that many in your district. Uh, lockdowns should be just as prevalent as fire drills, and we should always keep it on our minds because we're empowered to save ourselves, whether we're a 10-year-old kid or a 60-year-old person in an office building. Uh, we have to be empowered to save ourselves, and we do that by practicing, 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 right? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? You practice. Well, how do you save your life? You practice, practice, practice. And that's, uh, that's something that we, we all need to consider. But to draw this back now to talking about these cell phones and why this, this is problematic, have you seen in the past, I don't know, say four or five years, how many young people, and I mean young people, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old kids are committing suicide because they've been bullied? Now, I grew up and there was kids that were bullied. I saw it. I witnessed it. It affected me. Um, but I didn't see these kids killing themselves. Now, we see it as kind of a regular thing. It's not every single day, but there's a couple a year that we do hear about when we hear about them. You know, a nine-year-old came home and hung himself in his bedroom because he was being bullied. Uh, 11-year-old uh, killed themselves because they were being bullied in school and the parents are, are hysterical. It happened in New Jersey uh, to a girl, I think she was 13 or 14 years old. She was bullied so bad she killed herself. Now this is all uh, a modern phenomenon of, of this situation, but what, what makes it worse is the cell phone. And how is that? How does that make it worse? It makes it worse because when I was a kid, if somebody was bullied and they were bullied you know, during the day, during school, and that's where most of it would take place. When you came to Friday afternoon, the bullying stopped. You went home, you had your, your regular friends, you had your family, you, you could get away from that pressure, from that threat. They weren't on top of you every minute. And then you went back to school, maybe you had a day or two, maybe you picked on a little bit, and you, you had some relief of that constant pressure. With the cell phone, there is no relief from that pressure. These kids that are bullied are bullied not only in person, but they're bullied on the phone all day long with these messages. We go back and we, we investigate. And we find that these people have left messages, you know, you're horrible, you're ugly, kill yourself, nobody likes you, nobody wants you around, uh, you, your life is nothing, you're garbage, we're going to beat you up. You know, you start to hear those messages and they never end. They don't end on Friday. They go through the weekend, they go all night long. When you're on that phone constantly 
and you become the target of this kind of stuff, they never stop. And you see it and hear it constantly. And that, that can really drive some of these young people to desperate acts, including suicide. So when I saw that article, I said to myself, the reality is, we, what do we do to control that? What do we do as parents, guardians, grandparents, teachers? Uh, how can we help people? Well, I think one of the best things we could do, and I heard this advice from an expert on child psychology. They said, you should never allow your children to take their cell phone to bed with them, right? Now, this is hard. Parents, I can't take the phone away. The kid will lose their mind. No, it's 10 o'clock. They're supposed to be going to bed for school the next day. They need to sleep. They're young people. They need to sleep for being healthy. They say, they be on the phone. Now it's time for bed. You leave the phone here in the kitchen. And what does that prevent? Well, that prevents 320 notifications until 3 o'clock in the morning. That prevents uh, texting until all hours of the night. That prevents making videos they shouldn't be making and sending to each other. And it gives them a break from that phone, right? Now, I know it's hard. It would be very hard. I had I have four children who grew up, um, and because of my job and, and moving around and the things that we did and some other concerns we had, uh, all my kids, by the time they were 12, had a cell phone. Luckily, while my kids are on the phone a lot, they all are, they were not overwhelmed by the phone. The phone was a part of their life, and now they've grown into adulthood, and now they look at it the same way I do. It's a work tool, it's an it's a interest tool, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but, but they weren't bullied. You know, my kids weren't bullied either. I was blessed that way. They were, they were not victimized by that kind of thing. Um, but the reality is that phone, uh, being with those kids, four and a half to 16 hours a day on that phone, this, you just, just look at that. That can't be good. It can't be healthy to be on the phone that much. So this expert was saying, you, you, if you want to do the right thing for your kid, if your kid came home and said, hey, I got this needle, I'm going to shoot some heroin up in my bedroom, would you let them do it? No, but even if the kid really wanted to do it, no, you wouldn't. You would stop them. You would step in and prevent them. Well, this is, this is just as serious. This constant on the phone is not good. It's unhealthy. And in many cases, it can lead to very detrimental effects. So I kind of like that idea. I think if I was to do it over again, and my advice to my children now who have kids would be that because their kids are all going to be on the phones. They're going to have, you know, bat phones and cell phones and watch phones, just even things we can't even imagine yet. They're all going to have um, until the electric goes off. You know, then we're back to 1850. But until then, all these kids are going to have these phones. And I think that's I would I would counsel them and say, listen, do the, do the right thing by your kid. Don't let them take it to bed. When they go to bed, the phone stays in the kitchen and charges there all night in the morning. They get back on the phone and start again, but uh, not every single minute of the day, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to cover that because I found that um, interesting. All right, what else is going on out in the world? So let's see. In my police department, we had a, a motto. You know, a lot of corporations, companies, and whatnot have mottos, you know, their tagline or what they believe and say. Well, we had one that says, those who enforce the law must never cease to obey it. Right, that sounds pretty good. It's a pretty good thing. Those who enforce the law must never cease to obey it. Kind of makes sense, right? If you're going to be out there uh, doing something, don't be hypocritical and break the law. Um, so you want to make sure you do the right thing uh, as you're going forward. Well, we see this 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 crime that's that's overwhelming. We see politics that's overwhelming. There was a congressman 
recently. There was a you know the big uh, budget nonsense, which we'll, we'll talk about that for a minute because that's driving me crazy too, especially these Republicans. God away. Um, we saw a congressman on the Democratic side who the House was voting on a on the bill to to fund the government so they didn't shut down, to make sure everybody got paid and the government kept working. Uh, and they were doing the the vote, right? And they, they, had, they had wrangled around. It was going to be a government shutdown. They were going to shut the government down. Of course, it was going to be uh, problems. It would be a political political attacks on each other. You shut it down. Well, you didn't do this and you didn't do You know, it, it turns out to be a game that they're playing with us in our lives. It's a political game, a game of one-upsmanship to see you know, who I can blame it on. And of course, who are the press? Well, if, if it turns out it's the Democrats' fault, really, and it can be proved, you'll never hear about it. But if it can be blamed on the Republicans, oh, the media will go in with both feet and they would make a big deal. And people, I hate to say it, people are stupid enough still to fall for what the media tells them. Uh, they believe the nonsense that's out there. But anyway, this congressman, um, there was a whole movement that's that's coming out now. We're seeing it in the news that our friends on the left decided that the Republicans finally you know, straightened out their own infighting enough to get a bill through so that we would, you know, fund the government for another couple of months uh, so they could work out the budget, which shame on them, it should have been done already, but they were going to work this out. But the Democrats figured it would be in their best interest if the government actually did shut down and they could blame it on the Republicans. There would be political, um, there would be political gain for them by having that happen. So the Republicans who were, um, infighting horribly with each other, um, they finally came up with something, okay, mea culpa, let's just do this so the government doesn't shut down. We don't want to get blamed. We'll do this and we'll have 45 days to to figure it out in the future and, you know, screw everybody up again 45 days from now. And the Democrats uh, had decided that they were going to slow walk their vote to get past the witching hour, which would have been uh, 11.59 p.m. on the the 30, 30th of September, because on October 1st, if there isn't a budget in place, then there'd be a shutdown, and they could point the finger at the Republicans. Um, and I guess their calculus was, it won't be long-term, but it might be a couple of days, and we can you know blame them for the border patrol. That's why the border's out of control, because you did a shutdown. That's why this is happening, because you did a shutdown. Uh, so they thought there was gain in it, which, you know, shame on them for not thinking about you the American people first. They were thinking about where their political gain could be. And this congressman, um, and again, I told you, I want to write people's names down. So I did write it down. I'm going to look for it here. Where is he? Uh, um, I'll get to him in a second. Uh, he was a member of the squad. You know the squad, the very radical left-wing uh, squad, AOC, and, and a couple people from the Midwest? Well, this is a guy uh, Jamal Bowman is his name. He's a congressman and a very outspoken congressman, too. Uh, he has a lot to say about Republicans and conservatism and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things he said about Trump was that nobody is above the law. No one is above the law, and they have to be held to account. Well, in the middle of our friends on the left slow walking the vote so that it wouldn't be done in time for the Senate to go over it and vote on it, and then the government would shut down and they could blame the Republicans. This guy decides he's going to slow the process down even further by going to a fire alarm and pulling a fire alarm to shut the building down and to disrupt 
the workings of government. Now, of course, his spokesman has come out and said, oh, no, he, he was just rushing to get back in so he could pl place his vote. And he thought that would open the door. Now, do you believe that? I don't believe it for one second. Um, I've grown up my whole life. I know what the fire alarm looks like. It says fire alarm on it. It's painted red. Uh, you know not to touch it. They teach you from the time you're a little kid not to touch that unless there's a fire. And when somebody does pull a fire alarm, uh, when there's no fire, that's a criminal act. Why? Because number one, it puts people in a panic. Now you got the fire department coming. It causes chaos and confusion and people can get hurt. And we don't want that to happen. So we, it's, it's against the law to pull a fire alarm when there is no fire emergency. So this congressman, uh, Jamal Bowman, probably hearing in their in their conversations hey how we have to slow walk this uh, we have to you know let's 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 let this go into default so that you know we shut down even if it's for a couple days or a week uh, the way these idiot republicans are fighting with each other you know uh, we can blame it on them and we can ignore the biden administration a little bit because they're in a bad shape so he goes over and there's video of him and he pulls the fire alarm now isn't that disrupting the workings of government was that an insurrection Right? Remember all these people at the Capitol who wanted to go in and stop the vote and the whole world came to an end because these people didn't want the vote to continue? At least that's the contention. And we went out of our minds. Well, this guy goes in on a very important spending uh, bill being voted on and he disrupts the entire Congress to shut it down. Well, McCarthy, the speaker, says there will be an investigation. And this guy, in his own words, nobody's above the law. Be interesting to see how this actually plays out. Are they going to conduct an investigation and charge him criminally? Now, I've seen on a couple news shows that there's been some calls already that he should resign and get out of there for what he did. And I agree, he should get out of there. He did not do a professional thing. He, he did some subterfuge to try and damage the vote for political gain. That's all bad. We can't allow our politicians to do that, whether they're on the right or the left. We can't allow them to do it. All right, my friends. I appreciate our get-together today. Uh, I will keep you apprised of my trip here in Saratoga. Uh, and then uh, you know, when I go to Italy, I'll let you know what's going on there. In the meantime, until we see each other and hear each other again, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.